Hi, I'm Sung Ray. I'm something else. Here at Black Girl Soul, a podcast where we discuss the Asian dramas we love from a Black female perspective. We are looking to be entertained, to learn about other cultures, and share our passion for these shows. Welcome. Hello, everyone. This is Black Girl Soul. I am something else with Song Gray. Today, we are talking about the final episode, episode eight of Pachenko. And we have our special guest, our resident reader, Natasha. Hello, everyone. So, Song Ray, take it away with that recap. All right. So, in episode eight, the final episode of season one, we first must, whoop, 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 we found out that there will be more seasons officially. So, I'm so grateful for that. But this is our final episode of season one. And in this one, we are finding out about Sunja's second son. She is having a, I'm going to probably tear this word up, so please forgive me in advance, but a chetto for the baby, which is a first birthday party. And we're getting to see that in action. And we're also learning and getting to know Noah as he's, you know, his the person he is, who, who he is, how he functions within the family. As a seven-year-old, we're learning about Isak and his dual life. We're learning about how Sonja takes up and does what she needs to do to continue on handling her business for her children and herself. We also get to see Noah with his father, Hansu. And I think that's, oh, Solomon. Solomon says goodbye to Hannah in this episode. And we also kind of see his ending results. So all of that is basically episode eight, unless I've missed anything. You guys think anything I missed? I don't think so. Okay. So we're going to now spoil the hell out of this. <laughs> what are your first observations? Well, the episode starts out with Noah at school and he's walking with the friend. And I thought, oh, they're so cute. Oh, Noah's so cute. That was the first thing that hit me. And then he's talking to his friend about, you know, sticking up for himself and, you know, their troubles of being picked on by the Japanese kids. And I just, I like to see Noah. I liked seeing his personality come out. And then I liked seeing him with his, his dad and their relationship, which made the following scene that much more heart-wrenching. But um, that was the first thing that hit me was like seeing a cute little Noah and his, his personality. And I agree. I think for me, that was exactly what I picked up on was getting to meet Noah, getting to see him function and kind of seeing how he's feisty. He has a side to him that like you said is telling his friend hey you got to stick up for yourself don't back down you can't let them you know and well you didn't something either he said yeah because you didn't fight this is your fight I was helping you out so I liked his personality I did yeah he gave me all kinds of feisty and you could see that he was just this well-loved kid the fact that the father is walking him home and they have that routine between them and then the father is convincing him to act right at his little brother's <laughs> one-year-old birthday party. And he was like, are you sure I had my own birthday party? Like, are you sure it went down the way you said it went down? I was like, okay, Noah, we are getting everything about you right here, right now. And so for this episode, I must say, it's like compared to the beginning of the season, it kind of was like, dwindling down like I like this episode it was edifying it explained some things but 
ever since seven, we're getting this kind of slowed down feeling. I guess because they're going to ramp it back up for season two. What do you all think? I wonder too if it's slowing down because they want to try to show us more. That's just coming off the top of my head right now. Because when I was watching it, I was thinking, oh, there's Noah. And there's so much more to Noah that we could know and see. And like in the book, it was like a big thing to keep how he prepared for school each day. And he wanted his hair to be just perfect. And he wanted to make sure that even before the scene with him and, and Kohansu in the in the show, he wanted to be his best, be the best kid in class over everybody else. And so I don't know if the show is just trying to pack too much. And so it seems like it's slowing down maybe into this episode because I feel like they left a lot out. And that's exactly what I was getting ready to say. I feel like personally, they gave us a big bunch in the first couple of episodes on purpose because they needed to hook you in, get you in, want to see who's who, find out what's going on. But now we're slowing down to actually get to know the characters. Because again, one of the things I keep noting that Natasha has shared with us about the book is that, for instance, we learn so much more about Kohansu than what they gave us. Now, some of the stuff they gave us, no, it wasn't in the book, but still, they took an entire episode to walk us through his life and some of the stuff that he dealt with. In this episode, like you said, we're getting to know who Noah is as a person. We hear about him in his adult life. We don't know what happened to him and why he's not being shown yet, but we hear about his, you know, how he, the uh, Mozazu made a comment about him as an adult, about how he didn't want Solomon to turn out like Noah. But in any case, I'm just realizing, like, I think they're slowed down on purpose so that now we can actually fan out and get to know who these people are, what their characters are, you know, the information about them. That's just my take. Okay. I think there is a place where you can't have very dramatic, shocking bits constantly. And, you know, these characters do have to settle. So we we all agree. I was also going to add, because I kind of agree with you. I feel like I, in my head, because it was the last season, even though we know season two is coming, in my head, I kind of wondered, how come they didn't, you know, like give you that that thing that's going to draw you back in next. Do you get me? I think it's almost like season two is going to start tomorrow and we're going to keep moving. But go ahead. Right. And see, that's what I don't know. Like, unless you all know, I don't know when their season two is going to hit. Sometimes they don't tell you right away. They just pull you on a string for months and then you find out, bam, it's going to be in two months. You know, who knows? But yeah, I agree with you. One of the other things I noticed was the theme song in the intro was different yes definitely i paid attention to that too and so my question to you guys because you all may have better ears for music than i do it gave me 80s but it kind of didn't and mind you it may be the sensibility of their music because either Korean or Japanese, you know how like in America, when we hear certain songs, we know it's from the 70s, we know it's from the 80s. I don't have that same sensibility with their music. I just felt like, okay, it's not current. I just couldn't figure out what that But it's sound the same was. song. But it's the same song. It is. But like, they, it's like a different version of the same song, right? Oh, you're meaning like, when did they record it? No, I'm meaning like the, like the style of it. It was oh. the same words, the same song, but it's but it was like a different style. 
So and I didn't. So I saw I that, but I didn't have that kind of take from it. My take simply was it was a new introduction on the very last episode, which I found quite interesting. That if this is the last episode of the season, why did they change the music and some of the feel to the intro at the very end? And that was all I took from it. I didn't really delve into the. I hear what you're saying, and I do 100% agree, but I don't know time frame if that was an 80 sound or 70 sound. I don't know. But I just paid attention to the fact that, wow, it's the last season, our last episode of the season, and these are the kind of changes they made, which I found interesting. Right. The sound, and- to, me, the sound to me is like late 70s, but I don't know. I, I've never looked up the song to see, you know, when it was actually recorded. But it sounds 70s-like or like maybe early 80s. Yeah, I just didn't have anything. I was just like, oh, okay, look at y'all doing something different. And I love that either you, Natasha, or you, Sung Ray, pointed out in episode seven, they didn't have the intro at all. So the intro means something. Maybe it's just another artistic stylation. <laughs> Is that a word? I don't know. But, you know, a style choice just to enhance or add richness to the show. But yeah. But then I just wonder, okay, does this mean something too? We should look into, I mean, I don't know, maybe I can look into the the actual song and the lyrics too, because I mean, just the live for today part, when the show is going into the past a lot, I wonder what the significance of the song is on its own, like the lyrics of it. So I'll have to look it up and see. Okay, and then one of my other observations, and then I can turn it over to you guys, because, you know, we all have our observations in our notes, was the juxtaposition of Hannah's disease of the blood with the kind of scenes where they talk about the Beck family's unpatriotic disease of the blood. So you see Hannah being sick with AIDS, and then they splice in that Ethoc has been arrested and not just that he is arrested for being unpatriotic, right? Because clearly he's a union organizer in some fashion, big up to him, but also that there are ramifications for the family when Yosef's supervisor finds out that Ethoc was arrested for being unpatriotic. He loses his job. And so it is considered a fault of their family like because they are blood and he even says blood I believe because of that it is then a disease of the blood did you all notice that similarity or what did you all think in general about everything that went down I didn't really notice the similarity I mean I see it now that you're bringing it up and I guess that's a like a poetic artistic connection Um, and I can see how Isak, his involvement having consequences on his brother's job. Yeah, I thought that was unfortunate. And that blood connection and how they saw it. Ugh. That was that was rough. I don't know how Hannah's blood disease put I guess it puts shame on her it puts shame on her family and affects her family. I, I don't know what kind of consequences it's gonna have on her family after the fact, but it almost seems like Isak's stain on the blood of their family is a little bit more consequential to the rest of the family than what Hannah is is going through. So I don't know. I don't know what they meant. I would like to have been in their writer's room to hear what their discussion was and what they were thinking when they, and if they meant to put that together like that. 
I think for me, like I, I too noticed it, not noticed it in the way that uh, something else noticed it, but notice it now that she's putting it there. I think for me personally, I did find that the brother losing his job because of Isak's choices was like terrible. That that really kind of hurt my feelings and it was unfortunate. Um, I'm kind of shocked though that they didn't do more to uh, Sunja seeing they found her in the organizer's house. Like I assumed she was going to get locked up too because they kept asking her, what does she know? And yes, she found out that day, but still it was just kind of like, but we found you in these people's house. How are you going to say you didn't know them? Yeah. So all of that was just a little, you know, like I, I tripped off of that. And then as far as um, Hannah, I think the only thing for her that I noticed was when the nurse did something and then she said to her, you can't catch it by being close to me. And I was thinking to myself, where'd that come from? Like all this time, these people have been in there helping you. Yes, you were in this separate room by yourself, but it was just kind of a weird throw in, like it didn't seem to match for me. So that was the only other thing I noticed about uh, Hannah with her dealing with the AIDS. I thought what? that too. I, go ahead, something else. Oh, no, I was, I was just going to say, I did notice that, but then Hannah has always struck me as a bit rash and bitchy anyway. And I think that her issue was that, I think she said something about, you're not going to catch it by looking at me. And it wasn't, I don't think, about the health-wise of it all. I felt that she wanted to be seen and she was misinterpreting the woman not looking at her as basically saying you're not worth looking at but it may have been cultural it may have been true but then soon after the woman looks her deeply in her eyes when she answers her so she was caring she was a good nurse it was hannah being hannah that's what I think too. Hannah was being Hannah and in Hannah's past, you know, she was the, she was the pretty girl, the popular girl, the charismatic girl that people wanted to be around and see. So coming to, to this part of her life, it's just like now she's the opposite um, or that's how she feels. You know, she's the opposite and she can't, it's hard to deal with. Plus she's dying. So, but yeah, she's, she's over the top. I was going to say something, but I can't remember now. Oh, oh, I know. I know. Um, I I was going to say that, and this this happens later in the episode when, when Hans is walking with um, Noah from school. The way it ha- and and this is where I find discrepancy with how they're trying to portray Kohansu in the show as opposed to what I felt like he was portrayed like in the book. But in the show, when he's walking with Noah and he's making these comments about the dad, it's almost like Kohansu set Isak up. And so when Sunja was at the organizer's house, it's same there. It's like, did Kohansu have something to do with this? I promise you, I wondered the same thing myself. I was trying to figure out only because when she was talking to, when she went to the church and she's talking to the man at the church, he said someone had to have called him by name because they came and called his name. So someone called him out. It wasn't even like they just said, oh, there's some agitators over there and they came over searching for some agitators. No, they came specifically looking for him. So he told her, be careful. And that whole thing made me wonder who else would have put him out there like that but Kohansu. Yes, go ahead. Yes. And so then that pulls on my memory, my horrible memory, like, I don't remember this happening this way in the book. Why are they trying to, you know, portray Michael Hansu like this again? Like they're making him 
really cold hearted now. He's putting Isak in jail. I don't remember this, but that doesn't mean it didn't happen. I can admit that I'm still kind of naive to certain people's motives and things. And maybe it went over my head in the book, but I truly do not remember Kohansu even, even hinting at doing this to Isak. And I don't, I don't, he didn't though. I am going to say, because I took notes on this, they put it out here pretty bad for him and his relationship with Isak and the family. Because when he is walking with Noah, he says to Noah, tomorrow he's talking to him about the way to get to school, whatever, whatever, whatever. And he's spitting game, giving him knowledge and whatever, whatever. But he tells him, tomorrow, take the shorter route. And I had to put this in cat, like in quotes and actually read the screen. And it says, only fools would choose otherwise. So that means he's calling Isak a fool. Then he turns around and says, Noah, don't live like a fool. I'm like, damn, really? You you just going to call his daddy a fool and then tell him don't live like his daddy? Like, wow. Okay, because he doesn't know who you are. He doesn't know you're his real father. But yeah, that, that I don't know. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this man looked like a supervillain to me, even though he was being, he was trying to be caring to his son and meeting him, talking to his son and all of that. It just made him look like a supervillain. I hated that. So, number one, Natasha is ride or die for Kohansu. If y'all didn't know, she is going to fight y'all if you come for Kohansu and blame him for stuff that he should not be blamed for. We know that now. We don't want no hands from Natasha. Anyone in the comments, don't come for Kohansu. That's number one. Number two, (laughs) number two, I didn't, at first I wanted to link Kohansu, but I don't want to make him this omnipotent boogeyman where he's always involved in their lives somehow. Sometimes it's just them. And dude is a full, complete union organizer in Japan as a Korean. Somebody was going to drop the dime on him. Somebody was going to come for him at some point. Just because. Maybe they're trying to save themselves. Something. So I did not put that on Kohansu. But of course, Kohansu knows what's going on with the family. He keeps tabs. But it's very interesting how you see Noah at his level. And then you almost see this shining light almost for two seconds. It's not like a huge thing. And then Kohansu is next to him all in white. Like looking dapper, looking like he looks. Mm, mm. Ma'am, yeah. Okay. okay. But he looks in, in the middle of all that dankness and all that, not even dusty. That place isn't dusty. It's muddy to the rooftops, right? He's looking fresh and clean. Okay. Yeah. And then that was like obvious because I paid attention to the scene. I watched it like three or four times because, like I told you, I wanted to quote what he said specific. Um, everybody else had on dark colors, grays. Everybody, not some of them, everybody else. He was the only person that had white on in that entire scene. So that was all on purpose. Right. I mean, I was worried about his hem, like the hem of his pants, because yeah. um, <laughs> when he kneeled down to talk to the boy, I said, I wonder if he fell in any of those takes. <laughs> any backup suits? Because he had a style. He always wore white. Like, I knew when he showed up, he kind of, like, came in almost on a wave, and he was, like, <clears throat> right next to Noah. And so I could see how he looked like a powerful figure to a young seven-year-old. So I could see how the seven-year-old listened to him. And unless there were like 
many child molesters running around the, the Korean ghettos, he was going to feel relatively safe with the adults walking with him, especially since the adult knows about his life, knows his name, like knows basic stuff about him and seems to be imparting wisdom to him. Noah's used to listening to older people, except for his younger brother. He lives in a world of older people, right? In a world of adults. So I could see how that conversation went down. Sungray, I agree with you about how he was throwing Isak under the bus, train and planes. Okay, like, why are you calling that boy's daddy a fool and then doubling and tripling down on it? Mm, it was rude. It was super rude. But I also feel like this is the making of whomever Noah is going to be in the future. Because we don't know if Isak is going to be back in the picture at some point or he's sickly, right? We don't know if he's in a dying jail. I don't now. Natasha knows these things, but we don't know these things. And so we don't know how transformative it was for Noah to lose his father that way and then basically be told in so many words, you need to be the best of the best and you need to be strong and you need to not have that happen to you again. We don't know how that affects him. Yeah. And I don't, I know what happened in the book, but now I can't really say that I know because it seems like a lot of things have changed and I don't know what they're going to do with Isak in the show. Um, because I don't, rem- and, and hopefully some of your um, listeners will comment uh, after the fact on your blog, if they read the book, if they remember why Isak was arrested in the book, because I don't remember it being for political reasons. I thought it was for religious reasons. And that's a little different because it makes, he's, I don't know that he'd be seen as weaker for standing up for religious beliefs as opposed to political beliefs, but maybe it would be more perceived as more dangerous to stand up for political beliefs at that time. I just, I just don't remember him standing up for like union trying to unionize the workers or anything. Uh, the other thing that that stood out to me when Kohansu was walking with Noah, he said he threw some other shade at, at, um, at Isak. Oh, it was just on the tip of my tongue and I just lost it. And I, I don't know, I'm not appreciating it. And I feel like Noah being who Noah is, it seems like he would have had more questions too. Like he just seemed kind of comfortable with this stranger who's so fresh and so clean in the street walking up next to him. He didn't go home and tell, Hey mom, I, this, this guy walked me home and told me some stuff. Like he was just kind of quiet about it. And he gave him something because at the end he handed him that wrapped up piece of whatever. And I'm assuming based upon the fact that Sanja had that watch again at the end and gave it to Solomon. Oh, that's right. That's what he gave him. That watch. Yes. Yes. And Sanja, like, does he show it to Sanja? Like, I don't remember any of this in the book. So I'm confused. And I'm wondering how this is going to play out with that too. But he said something else to throw some shade at Isak. I'll have to, when I remember it, I'll bring it back up. Well, I'll say this. Yes. It was very like heavy and important to me that he gave him the watch. But then it was interesting because maybe not right before, but in a scene before the the walk, let's call it the walk, Sanja gives the watch to Solomon. And I was like, Sanja, how you get that watch back? <laughs> I was like, how'd that happen? So Yeah, me too. We, right. So we don't know 
what Isak's conversation was with Sunja after the walk, right? We don't know the scene where he gave it to her, but he's a kid. Isak if, or Noah? Not Isak. I'm sorry, Noah. My bad. We don't know the conversation that Noah has with Sunja after he gets home and he hands her that watch. He's a kid. He's not going to necessarily keep that thing hidden or at least not keep it for long before she finds out. Because the minute she sees that, she's going to know that he has dealt with Kohan um, too. Exactly. Right. Right. So that may be Kohan Su's way of saying, I'm watching over your family too. I believe like, definitely it like, was. Oh my gosh, yes. That is that is definite code for, because he knows this child is not going to keep the watch. What is he going to do with it? He knows eventually it's going to get back to Sunjin. When it does, it's going to be, oh crap, your daddy has approached you. Right. And so then that, that makes me think, like, how, what else are they going to change in the show? Because it didn't, it didn't go down like that. And so I'm wondering... He he re- in the book he reveals himself in a different way, and I'm wondering if if they're still going to incorporate that in the show or if this is just a total departure and change, and and where they're taking it. And so I'm confused. Okay, Natasha. Normally I'm like, don't give spoilers. Like we can talk offline, but can you spoil this at least? Like how in the book? How does he? reveal himself to Noah. I can't. It, it's too big of a spoiler. I'll have to tell you offline. Oh, wow. Okay, and I'm going to pause to say this, though. I have deduced, just based upon different readings, things I'm seeing, and listening to other people who've read the book as well, that they are not sticking to the book. They have done something completely different, and I think that may be why the author who wrote the book departed from the show is because they didn't stay in line with what she had already written. They started delving off. And I'm not sure like how much delving we're doing, but they're doing enough that, yeah, they doing their own thing. Yesterday, this is where they started. This is where they began, but it seems like they're doing their own thing. That's just my thing. Yeah. So now I'm questioning future seasons. Not that I don't want to see them. I do want to see them. And the show I think is a good show apart from the book being a good book. I'm just curious as to how much they're going to change. Like, are we going to have to see more of, you know, a 20 something year old Solomon? Cause I'm, I'm, I think I'm done with him. <laughs> like, I think we're done with his 20 year old story. Like we're going to go back to his younger. So I'm curious as to like, you know, all of that too. Like how, how much are they going to depart from the book? Are we totally separated now? I'm going to get. Oh no. Go I was, was just going to say, I was just going to say real quick that, um, I'm going to get the book. When I read the book for book club, I checked it out at the library, but I'm going to actually get the book so that uh, whenever the future seasons come out, I'll at least have something to refer back to and jog my memory because I've been forgetting a lot and getting it mixed up with what's going on in the show. Right. I I agree with both of you, um, especially you, Sun Ray. I do think that as time went on and I can understand some artistic changes because you cannot have everything in a book on a show and they have to make some, you know, short, they have to build in some shortcuts. Totally understand that. But even when I've seen little specials from like, and and one of them is the, you know, who's the sunshine in your life or whatever, when we um, talk about that eventually, but even then, and maybe another special little clip or something, they focus on the screenwriter. They don't focus on the writer of the book, right? They, I didn't see anything where they were like, 
had the writer of the book talking. I, I've seen her in other places for some reason, but not in those little clips. And I wonder if it's because she was like, you all are severely bastardizing my book. And <laughs> and yeah. I am done with you and I rebuke you in the name of all the love that I have for this book. <laughs> I know? wonder how so, that works. Like, does she still get paid or did they maybe just pay a, a, a set fee to have the rights to, to do what they want? Like, I'm curious because it just seems like they must have had a real big falling out for her to just say, I can't work with you unless it was something else, like something personal in her life where she just couldn't do it or didn't have the time to do it. Who knows? That is great gossip to figure out. I know. I When I saw the um the one, the, the landowner and this creepy dude on the street looking at her um, after Solomon proposed. Was it Solomon? Because it kind of looked like Solomon with a mustache. I don't know if it was Solomon, but I, I know that it was, he proposed some idea to get this woman's land and do what you have to do to get it type of thing. And I was Ugh, I didn't like that. I didn't like no. that departure. I'm wondering where that's from. Because be. it made me think about when you told us I had listened to an old episode we did it, and it made me think about when you told us that his father sent someone in the book. His father right. sent someone, and then after he sent someone, she wound up dead. So that's what made me go, "What is this? Are they trying to like return back to where the book was? Like, what are, what are we doing? This is confusing." But yeah. yeah. Exactly, Songray. That's what I thought, too. I thought, oh, okay, this is how they're, like, flooring back to and cleaning that up, that this woman does die in the end, right? Like, this is, it, it gets to that point. But then Natasha told us, then they decided not to do the deal at all. They're departing, and it's unfortunate because they're painting Solomon, like, into this asshole <laughs> um, because the way Natasha described it, it was an unfortunate thing. Like he asked for that, but maybe he didn't know that's what I did in my head. Maybe he didn't know that that would be the result. But like in this version for the, sh for the show, it looks like he is like, do that thing that you have to do to get that land. And then we'll make our own deal. I'm like, okay, Solomon, when you had that conversation with Hannah, she was just telling you to, to fight the good fight, not to be a complete asshole. <laughs> uh -uh. So I, I took from that because I, I hear you. Yes. But I also took from that. I found it to be the weirdest thing ever. And this is why I'm going to say that. So I had some parallels again in my parallels war that as he's talking to Hannah and Hannah is telling him, fuck them, Solomon, they never care for us. So, you know, go out there and get what you're supposed to get. But then it also was the same concept of, in my mind, we're dealing with young Sunja learning that Isak is a freedom fighter and that he is dealing with Japanese dissidents as well during this colonial rule period. So I find it interesting because Hana is Japanese. I find it interesting that I see this phenomena again, that they're making this, it's kind of like when you're dealing with allies and you have allies who are ready to speak ill of a problem that they are inherently part of. So that was where I was like, okay, Hana and the Japanese dissidents are kind of the same in my mind. Like, I don't know, it was weird. It was a weird take that they were showing. Yeah, this episode, they doing some stuff. I didn't see that parallel, so that's interesting to think about. Like, even after the show or the episode ends, sometimes it comes back to me and I'm thinking about various things. So that's going to be one of them, because that kind of comparison is interesting. 
along the same lines of what you're talking about and those scenes, what I noticed was that Sanja didn't know not only her husband, but she doesn't know Noah, and now she won't know Solomon. Like she won't know what they're doing because the older Sanja says at one point, just because we love them doesn't mean we know them. And I think that's happening to her over and over again. I think she's surprised by her husband's behavior and what he's been doing. Um, and he never really gives her a chance to partner with him, right? When he's doing all of this crazy stuff and he's trying to protect her, but she has no idea. And then with her son, Noah, I feel because clearly in the future, they are split apart. They don't have a close relationship. I feel like she won't know Noah. And now because of how Solomon is moving, like he's moving counter to where she would naturally expect him to go, especially with that older lady, that older Korean lady. I do feel that then she won't know Solomon. Three men, different generations in her life, she loves but won't know. And I love yeah. that because you're correct. I feel the exact same way because with Solomon and the way he's moving, one of the notes I took was that he seems to be clueless on how to really move into the bigger picture of the grand scheme of things. And that his ploy for Colton Farms or whatever it is this that he's trying to grasp to get this lady's land made him seem very weak and desperate to me because of how he's doing it and what he's choosing to do to get to it. And in that, it's almost like if Sanja was standing up to Mazazu and saying, oh, I won't let Solomon go this way. I won't let him fall like the way of Noah. I think she's already missed it. He's on his way. Well, she gives him the watch to hopefully give him some sort of luck. And I wonder if it's going to work, being that her mother went to the shaman at the beginning of the show. And what they did for her worked for, worked for the mom and Sanja was born. So I'm wondering if that's going to help at all with that, that watch. Like, is, are they going to give it that kind of power in the show? I mean, this is, that's a total departure from the book, but I'm wondering if that's going to help at all. I will say it was interesting that she gave Kohan Su's watch, though. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, of all the things to give him, it's almost like that's the strongest talisman that she could come up with. And it's Kohansu's watch. Yeah. Like, uh, I wonder how much her family knows about that watch. Like her sons and her grandson. Is this watch is just a big mystery to them? That watch has lasted a long time. Right. There was a scene. This is kind of off the subject, but it just it stuck out to me, and it's on my um in my notes in the hospital with Hannah. Um, she's talking to Solomon, and she says take care of my mom and that was kind of weird to me like that kind of seemed kind of off like what does she mean take care of her mom like her mom has a man how does she want solomon to take care of her mom does he that just mean look check in i don't know what that meant i was confused by that and the fact that hannah just doesn't seem like she cares about anybody at least not on the surface she doesn't seem to care about anybody did anybody notice that and have any reaction to that because it was totally confusing to me yeah, I kind of feel like, again, back to, I think someone mentioned it earlier, there may have been you, Hannah's just selfish. And in her selfishness, I don't know, I feel like her whole life, based upon how this show has presented her, her whole life was all about her doing what she wanted to do, how she wanted to do it. 
it ended poorly and she's just you know ending off with the because she even had to ask where solomon when they told her they were going to give her i guess they injected her with something to cause the death to happen quicker i don't know it was a that was a weird thing too but she asked for him where's solomon where's solomon he's not here where's solomon you got your mother right there you got solomon's mom grandma and dad there but you had your quote-unquote family to per se but she was looking for him then when he did finally show up he came and it was with this crazy idea that i didn't catch it first until after we get to the top of the roof and he says hawaii so i'm like okay he's trying to give her a sense of you're not gonna have to die in this room but still i don't know the whole thing was just yeah and he 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 like asked for help in providing this to her and i didn't know what kind of help this uh gangster dude provided for her him to be able maybe he has some ties at the hospital let them take her out of the room i don't i was confused it 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 was was really confusing confusing to me it made sense to me it made sense to me that she asked him to take care of the mother I mean, one of the conversations she had with Solomon was about her regrets and how she thought she was high flying and things were going to be completely different, right? Like when she talked about Hawaii, she talked about how. But why did she, she ask Solomon to take care of her mom? I mean, well, let me let me explain. Let me explain. Okay. <laughs> I think you know she had like when she talked about Hawaii, she thought her life would be different, and Solomon is the guy who got away. Solomon apologize to her for leaving her behind we always think about how she controlled and dominated solomon but i think she loves solomon in her fashion i think she i understand that i don't know the book i'm going completely based on the bits i have and making stuff up but i think i think hannah was fast I think she was in precarious circumstances with her mother and her mom, like having a Korean boyfriend and everything that went with that stigma. She may have been beautiful, but that's all she had when she was out in the street. And I think she lived fast and loose. And maybe in the back of her mind, she always thought the things that she was doing were going to like give her a step up and make her happy. There's nothing that says that Hannah thought that she wouldn't take care of her mom one day. Like, she wouldn't be there to, like, make her mother proud or have her back. So, yeah, mm-hmm. her, her mom may have a boyfriend that she's always had for years. They never got married. They've been together forever. And she looks at Solomon, who is her contemporary, who could argue, arguably be the her first love and maybe the love of her life. And she asked him to take care of her mom. Plenty of people on death's door are like, hey, take care of each other you know, or think about who who they trust can make sure that the person they love is all right. Solomon is young. Anything could happen. I can see her going, hey, you're my best friend. Can you look out for my mom? You know, mm-hmm. that was like the one time that you see Hannah not being caustic, not being bitchy or rude. She loves her mother secretly down there. She's human. Yeah. So that's, so that's what she expresses to him and everything after that is just trying to make her comfortable. I mean, there has to be some grace in death, right? There has to be some grace in dying. And she stretched it to the very end because (laughs) she was a horrible patient. She wasn't a virtuous 
dying AIDS patient, right? She wasn't the poster child for, oh, it's a shame. We're going to lose this great person. No, she was not that. But I think she loved the way that she could. Yeah. I guess she's loving the way that she loves, but I never saw her as loving Solomon. I just felt like Solomon made her feel like she was a rock star. Like he idolized her. She's a bit older than him. When he was younger and they really first started like hanging out, it was like he was in awe of her and she liked having that type of attention. And she was, she fed off of that, but it wasn't really him. She just knew that he could do, he would do what she wanted and that she could kind of drag him around and be his, be her puppet. And she loved that. But I don't know if she really, I never got the feeling that she really loved him. And maybe she didn't, but she, maybe she, what she loved was the adoration. Right. And here at the final, and at the final time of her life, this is what she gets. She still has this adoration. That is as close to who she used to be as she's going to get. There's one person who is treating her the way that she used to be treated because trust and believe nobody else is. Everybody is looking at her as a pariah and untouchable. She's hidden away in a room closet to die. Yes. And I feel like that's, that's what she's clinging on to. I just don't know. So when we talk about her asking him to take care of her mom, I don't know why she's asking him. I know why she's wanting to care for her mom or wanting her mom to be taken care of because she loves her mom deep down after all the crap that, you know, Hannah has done. But I don't know why she's asking Solomon. I guess she has no one else to ask or she has no one else to, to, to show like, hey, I'm kind of still a good, I'm a good person deep down. Like I care. I, I don't know. That, that, that's what doesn't make sense to me. And eh, yeah, I don't know. That's all I have to say about it. I did want to point out that it was interesting just as a thing that happens to kids that Noah was a translating fool. Like, <laughs> Yeah, he was. Poor kid. Right. He was like throwing it back and forth. I was like, dude, I mean. Of some heavy he, stuff too. Uh, exactly. He's exposed to so much. Like there's this case and I don't know. I won't know until the next season. We all won't know. But like just how much he has to be an adult and how that affects him. Whether Isak comes back or not. Like there's a, he, as the young, not the youngest child who has no understanding, but like the seven-year-old and older, what he experiences and the fact that he's translating for his mother, he's, he's translating words for another adult. I think if we get a little bit further, like step a little bit before that, if you pay attention from the moment when they were at the house and he comes in to tell her, dad, I waited an hour. He hadn't come to pick me up. Oh, your dad never showed up. And he's like, no. So he takes, they go off to the place. When they get to the church, something happened there. He has to like kind of drag her, like, come on to go to the next space. They get there. She gets stuck on something again. He, come on, mom, let's go. So like, I paid attention to, he was leading all along. He was leading her to man, I don't know what you keep getting stuck for. I don't know why you keep stopping and going off into your deep thoughts. We'll have time for your deep thoughts right now. We got to go handle this business. And in that, then he started with the translation. So I automatically picked up because of how Sanja, I don't know if it was her, how she felt about herself or I don't know. 
is it because she doesn't understand the language and the culture or what but that because he was already you know he grew up in it he speaks Japanese he's part of the culture in the sense that he you know has to go to school with the children and deal with people he was already a quick study and that was one of the things I put in my notes is that he was wise beyond his years. I feel like he was the best of Sunja. Like when Sunja was a kid, remember how she maneuvered in the uh, marketplace and was able to talk people down when it came to um, bartering, when it came to prices and whatnot. And then if you think about Kohansu and how he functions, so I'm like, oh, Noah's the best of the two of them. He's got both of their brains and he's a quick study. He picks up fast. You don't have to give him stuff over and over. He gets it. So I don't know. That was just my take watching their whole interaction. I totally agree with you. I didn't see some of that. I remember the pulling, like him pulling her along, but I didn't link it completely. So thank you for that because you're completely right. Yeah, I was going to say, I think that was their way of um, giving us some of the character of of Noah from the book because he's a huge part of the book. He's one of my favorite characters in the book. And it really shows his personality as a child and how disciplined he was and how such of a, I guess, like a responsible old soul in a little kid's body. So I I really appreciate it. I really appreciate that they were trying to show that. I mean, it's too bad that we don't have the time. The show doesn't have the time to give us all the life of Noah, but. Yeah, they definitely showed that in the, in the um, and same, same thing with his friend. When he's trying to give advice to his friend, he's like, they're, they're the same age, but he's he's the stronger one. He has more, it seems like more exactly. wisdom. Mm-hmm. Because again, he was telling that friend, you, you, you know, he said, well, you stop fighting. He's like, because it's your battle. You, you got to do your part. And when you do your part, I hope you out, but I'm not fighting for you. Like, it made me laugh because I'm going, this little boy spitting game early on. He just like his daddy, huh? Mm. But but no, I agree with both of you. I do wish, based on what Natasha said about the book, that they had done a scene, like tiny, of him getting ready for school, right? Like that would have been interesting to see him kind of making sure his hair, making sure his, his clothing is just so, and then having to go off. I think that would have been helpful. But we got what we could get so far. I mean, maybe we're just thirsty for more story. To be honest, now that you have said what you just said, and now that I'm linking what Natasha said, maybe that is our to draw you back in for next go round. Because we did just meet Noah. Yep. We did just get to see him in action. So maybe when we get into season two, that's where they start us off with more Noah. I don't know. I sure hope so. I sure hope so. Because... We, I mean, in the book, you hear, you see Noah as a kid going through school. You see Noah go to college. I mean, you see all kinds of stuff in Noah's life. I'm not sure they're going to get into all of it, but he's a big part of the book. And I hope that this introduction was just saying, hey, you're going to see more Noah in the next season or the next few seasons. No, I definitely think. I think the whole episode was just like a big cliffhanger because you you're getting Noah, you're getting what's going to happen with Isak and what's going to happen with that whole family because, I mean... Yeah, brother lost his job. Right. She's out there having to slang kimchi to get by. (laughs) And that was even funny because the sister-in-law is telling her again, like, well, I don't know if he should be doing this. And she's like, well, no, I'm going to do this because, shoot, I got to do something. He comes out to tell her again, 
no, I'm the man. I'm going to take care of things. And she's like, well, let me help you shit. Why you ain't got no job. Let me help you do something because we ain't yes. have, we have nothing coming in. Exactly. It's time to in this house. Nothing's coming in. We got to do something. Exactly. And it's like, I don't have time for you to be the big, bad, strong, unemployed man right now. Okay, I can make some kimchi. <laughs> let me do what I can do. Did we talk about this in a previous, maybe last uh, episode? We talked about just like what the emasculating of men can do to a society. Cause yeah, I think we did talk about it because we were talking about how these guys, someone mentioned guys going home to beat their wives. It's like the emasculation of these guys in this oppressive society. I mean, it can cause long lasting damage to a family. Yeah. Yeah. Not just a family, a community, true, true, and, true. Um, a culture of people. Like, look at Black culture in America. Yeah, true, very true. true. And so, unless you all have something before the last bit, um, I, I was going to say... One quick okay, something on. I just wanted to pull back to. So, at the very beginning, again, we're leaving with Isak and Noah walking home from school, and they're talking about the chick doll which is that first birthday party in the process of grabbing that first item. That's the Dojabi. So what did Noah say he pulled? What did they say Noah pulled? Do you guys remember? Because each item has a specific meaning. And so I figured they took the time to tell us that, not just for the history, but maybe that will help us to understand better Noah. I was going to ask you the significance. He he pulled the red yarn. That's what they said. And I was, and he he was saying, oh, I wish I had pulled the bow and arrow, but he pulled the red yarn, and okay, he wanted. So, do we know what uh, I uh do. what Mozazu pulled? To. So I know that it says the bow and arrow represents a person with a career in the military. Money represents a person who will be rich. On the table, we saw a book. A book is for a famous scholar, or to become a famous scholar. A brush is a person who will become a famous author. The red and white silk plaque is for long life. So if you pull that, that's for long life. Um, or if it's plaited together, it's to become a good husband or a wife. A scroll is a person with a long and healthy life. So you said he pulled just the red thread? That's what he said. I mean, when I saw the table, I saw the red and white together. But when he was talking to right. his dad, he said he pulled red red yarn. So again, the thread based upon somebody sharing with me on uh, Twitter, thread really means having a long life. Do you know what Mozazu pulled? At the end, I couldn't tell if they were trying to show us what he pulled. They showed the table, but nothing really stood out like that he selected it. Girl, no, I think purposefully they didn't show us what he pulled because I was trying to see okay. that too. And I went back, like I said, I went back a few times because that scene really interested me because I was like, oh, I've seen this before, but I didn't realize it had such meaning. So I started doing some research and stopped the show, went through my research, came back, watched again, went and did some more research, came back and watched again. So like, I looked at that scene more than once and they never, ever let us see what did Mazazu pull. Okay. I'm curious. I mean, Mazazu's doing well in his life right now. I mean, fairly well. My son money. said money, right. That's what I was like. He probably pulled the money. <laughs> well, if Noah pulled long life, and I'm leaving that alone. We, yeah. We're not going to talk about that because I read some stuff. So <laughs> we'll just leave that alone. <laughs> so the very last bit of the episode went back to 
like they decided to do a homage to the women like Sunja and the women of Korea who stayed in Japan after most of them, I think they said something like 1.8 million or some almost 2 million or something went from Korea to Japan, but then the large majority of them went back to Korea afterwards, but like something like 600,000 people stayed in Japan and they spoke to some of the women who did. And so I thought we could discuss them before we talk about the whole, you know, who is Sanjay in your life, that whole thing. Yeah, I I thought those stories were very interesting. I thought we were going to get more of their stories. I feel like we didn't really get their stories. I liked the information, the typed information about how many people actually came as laborers or how many people were brought by Japanese as laborers, how many people stayed, how many people went back. And I mean, we know based on the show that the people who stayed, even the people before they left, had a hard time there. But I wanted more from the women. I liked seeing them. I like seeing that they grew old, lived long lives. They seemed to be in a good place and happy people. Um, but I didn't really know much. Like, they didn't really get much into their stories. Yeah, it would have been interesting just to have, like, a special or something about them to dig it more in. Been. I felt like it wasn't, like, filler, but I appreciated the homage because, even that little bit showed us that it didn't have to be dank and dire, right? It didn't have to be just utter depression. You know, you, you see final scenes of Sunja selling kimchi on the street and, and you're like, oh God, what's going to happen to her? And it gives you hope that they, that these women persevered despite the circumstances and maybe the things and the hardships that they faced. Yeah, and I think to me what stuck out for me in that, even though, like you said, it was short and it really would have been nicer to have had a little longer special, like maybe something completely separate that Apple TV, well, if you all are listening, go ahead and make that happen. <laughs> but an episode where we could just watch and learn about those women. But any which way, um, I was thoroughly interested in how old they all were. They had all lived very long lives in dealing with being a part of that time period, dealing with the stuff that they had to deal with and who they were now. So like, I thought that was really cool too. That Korean Japanese diet is no joke because they were like talking, I'm 95 years old. I'm like, uh, ma'am, you look like you 70. What, what is going on? Like, I don't know what the, their version of black don't crack is, but they got it. I was like, <laughs> what are you- y'all eating? I need to eat. <laughs> Did you see the one lady who admitted that she was like a mean person? Oh, that was funny. <laughs> Did you guys remember her? No. Which one was she? She she was one who looked. I mean, they all looked good for their age, but she she was like sitting at a table. I think she even had her hair dyed dark, and okay, she was saying that she she'd been through a lot, and that's why that's why I'm not a pleasant person. That's why I'm not a nice lady or something like that. She said. I was like, whoa, <laughs> you seem like a nice lady. <laughs> Yeah, yes. no, I know exactly who you're talking about because I didn't see the, I didn't hear those words. Maybe I was looking away or something like that or read those words. But she said something about how like she didn't like people or trust them or something like that. And I was like, I could see that. I could see how, you know, you go through some things <laughs> and you see that. 
one of the things I noticed was what was behind them because I was trying to get whatever I could get, right? So there were the women talking, but then I was like, what are their living circumstances? Did she seem to be okay? She's in the kitchen. She has some nice dishes behind her, you know, to live through those circumstances and then be in this space where you catch your cable TV as an older lady and you have your hobbies. And I'm like, to be where they are now, it's kind of like a different world, you know? Yeah. I was kind of paying attention to the background, but not quite. I just noticed that it all looked pretty good, but I do plan to watch the episode again. I need to watch all of them. I Maybe I'll just watch the whole season again um, and see what their circumstances are like, but they all seem to be doing well and be, you know, happy. So that was good to see. And so with that, I've really, like I said, I hope Apple TV is listening and that they go ahead and just make that a full episode with more details for us to watch. But they also posted on Twitter, they had done this thing where they asked the cast of the show to reflect on who the Sunja in their life was. And Sunja being basically a person from a previous generation who sacrificed and set a foundation for the people coming after them and who is the Sunja in your life. And so, you know, they each member shared who they felt like that that person was in their lives and they asked us to share who was the Sunja in our life. So for me, because, you know, I really reflected on watching this this show, looking at how these women, because again, not just Sunja, but that concept, looking at how these women that they showed at the end, how they lived and the things they had gone through to get to where they are. And even though we didn't get to meet their families, you know, knowing that they probably have strong families now that they, you know, have gone through these things and the way they had to stand up and live. So I reflected on who was that person for me. And in my life, that's my grandmother. She's passed. She's no longer with us. But my grandmother was born in 1919 and, you know, stuff that she had to go through and the things that she had to deal with and just life as it was being a person in this country of African-American descent, you know, those kinds of situations, her parents being actual sharecroppers and uh, her grandmother being a slave, like listening to her stories, listening to the things she went through coming from Mississippi all the way here to, no, Arkansas, she's from Little Rock, Arkansas, coming from Arkansas all the way here or to where we grew up. And, you know, just all of the stuff that she went through and then our family, how my aunts function, which are her daughters, and the way my family moves. It was just, you know, she is somebody who I have always respected. And watching this, I thought about her a lot. I thought about the things she went through. I thought about the stuff that she had dealt with. And it just, you know, when they asked that and when I saw that, that resonated with me greatly because during watching the show, my grandmother's my grandmother popped up in my mind a few times. I thought about it too, and I couldn't think of who the Sunja in my ancestry was. And then as I thought about it some more, I think that a lot of us don't know. um, Like, I don't know my mother's whole story. I don't know my grandmother's whole stories. Solomon didn't even know Sunja's whole story and what she sacrificed. And I think that's common with a lot of people. Like, we don't always know what, not just the women in our lives, but our ancestors or recent ancestors did or went through to get us where they are now. And if they made deliberate decisions to get us where we are. Um, And I noticed that a lot of the people in the show, when they asked the cast members who it was, they all said mom or grandma, because that's the closest to us, but there could be, you know, someone who did something more significant um, to bring us where we are. And then I thought, well, maybe it doesn't have to be significant. You know, I think about my kids and what I'm doing 
and it doesn't feel like I'm doing anything special. We're just living life. Um, but maybe there are decisions being made that's going to affect my grandkids in the, in the future. So I appreciated the whole concept and them bringing it up. But when I started to think about it, I just started thinking in circles, like, okay, like where, who, who's the son, who is the son in my life and who, who's son in my ancestry and wanting to know more because I don't really know. I have this book that I bought some years ago called Conversations with My Grandmother. And I bought it because I thought we would, my kids would interview um, their grandmother. Well, and no, no, it wasn't that. It was, we were going to interview Ron's grandmother when she was still alive. And we never really got through most of the book. So then I thought I'm going to buy that book to interview my mom to find out more about her life because I don't think we passed down. We, I mean, we'll hear stories here and there, but I don't think we really know what people before us go through and what they went through. One of the great concepts that um, something else, her brother, he did these videos and he did one for my mom. And I feel like for my mom, that's how come I, she is that person, but my grandmother just really sticks it for me for them. But um, he did a video and he, did these questions where he asked her about herself, asked her about her growing up, asked about, you know, just different things. And so listening to her tell her story and talk about her past and that, and because it's on video and it's digital as well, like, I love that because it's always something I can go back to and review. And then, you know, with the grandkids and other people, those kinds of things can be talked about as well. So like, I love that. Are you talking about... Oh, go on. Go on, Natasha. I was just going to ask Song Ray if you're talking about something else's brother did the video. Is that what you were talking yeah, about? Yeah, he did it for my mom. He has one that he had done for their grandmother as well, if I'm not mistaken. I think it was your grandmother, right? Something else? Yes. Yeah. He did one for our family, too, but he interviewed me and my husband and our children. So that's something that our children can look back on or maybe even our grandchildren can look back on. But something else, you go ahead and, and speak on your point. I was just going to say it's interesting that frequently we have living history that we don't talk to. Even conversations with my mom sometimes, she'll say something. And I'll be like, I didn't even know that about you. I low-key think now, thinking about all this bits of information that she's told us. She was a hippie. She was a black hippie running off to California. And she never completely tells us everything at once. I think there's this place where if you don't actually ask your family members, especially your older family members, they don't answer. So if you don't ask them, hey, what happened here? Like you find out all kinds of stuff that you just did not know. And it's not like they're hiding it. It's just that they've forgotten it until you ask them. Or they don't I think, I think they forget they it or they don't. No, but do you remember when we talked about the show my liberation notes and I said that old girl hadn't formulated that relationship with her parents that is exactly what I was talking about sometimes it is a matter of just talking to them asking questions just you know if I come in hey mom what about blah 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 I'm gonna get some information that I might not have known or that might help explore open them up and explore them in a new way for me than I really would have realized prior to I don't know like I just think that's something as children we have to be mindful of because are we telling our kids everything? Mm, no. And I, I think that <laughs> you ask me something, I might answer you, but I'm not just coming out telling you all of my cuz 
I think I did some stuff that might have been ratchet. No, I don't want to tell you about that. But if you ask me a question, yeah, I might stare. Okay, here's how this happened, and here's how we got here. I don't know, but go ahead. I think that's why I was so attracted to that book where it says conversation with my mom or grandma, because I think when you're living your life, it doesn't feel all that extraordinary to you. I don't feel the necessity to tell my kids about college, you know, like the things that we did in college. I feel like maybe we did do some things that are extraordinary in college, but when they were happening, I don't know that they felt all that extraordinary. I don't know if Sunja really feels like what she did in her life to get her family where they were was extraordinary. The fact that she had to marry some guy to, because she was pregnant. She's not, she's not thinking I really did something here until you at, until it comes up and you really think about it. You know, I think that we feel like maybe our lives are, I'm not going to say they're not worth telling, but they just don't feel all that special or extraordinary when it's happening. I did feel, and we talked about, the special they kind of did asking the question I did feel that they were trying to pull at our heartstrings a little bit so I was just being ornery about it because I was like I don't want to think about that but um, (laughs) but I didn't want to be emotional I didn't want any of that stuff and honestly if they're going to be doing this I'm looking for the next one called who is the Solomon in your life who is the relative who's the fuck boy (laughs) who's the one who's messing up oh not the fuck boy stop (laughs) Who's the one who, who's the one, or not the fuck boy, the fuck up. Who's the one who has everything and the opportunity, and yet somehow they are going in the wrong direction. So I'm looking forward to them asking that question next. Uh, yes, maybe they will. <laughs> to to uh, indulge the sarcasm is uh, have, have a story for all these different characters. I don't, I, and you know, there's, there, in one of the beginning scenes, in the beginning episodes, Kohansu said something to Sunja like, oh, "What was it? It was it was like there are good and there are good and bad people everywhere, or something like that." And I think he was trying to explain to her, at least what I took from it was that people are people wherever you go, and you're gonna find certain types of people wherever you go. It's, a, it's like some of these characters are kind of like universal, so. Hopefully that's a theme that this, they're going to keep touching on and make it more apparent to us when we realize that people are people. And the reason why I say that is because <clears throat> the Japanese may be demonized or looked at as doing as being evil people by these Koreans, but there are Japanese people who are just like them, you know, who are who have struggles in their lives, who have people who need to escape. So. I don't know. I think it's human. I think it's humanizing. I think it's humanizing in a way to sh- to show that people are having similar experiences or similar histories or similar family structures. I would agree. I agree totally. I like that that concept and that thought because I think that is pretty much the generalization for a lot of what we do is learning and realizing we're all we're more alike than we're different. Yeah, there's not always a clear good guy, bad guy, and everybody has life. Right, because even if you want to like look at Kohansu, and clearly they're pushing us to demonize him, he is a loving father. He does love his son, right? He does touch that family's lives because he wants to do what he can. Maybe as a way to make up, who knows? But yeah, I think we have to remember that when we 
listen to stories and look at people, even the people close to us. No one is all good or all bad. There are shades of gray. It's a little bit harder to discern that and to, to delve deeply, but I think it's worth it so that we can um, forgive people when we can and when we can understand people when we can. Is there anything else that you all want to add before we end this episode? Well, all I wanted to say was this episode stressed me out. Uh, and it's a very stressful way to, to, and maybe that's our cliffhanger, is all the stress that was in this episode. Maybe will give us some relief afterward. Overall, I enjoyed this show. I, I feel like this is a, they did a good job. They've captured me they've kept me in i'm interested in characters i want to know what's going to happen further um i hope we don't have to wait like months and months on end for season two to get started so that i don't lose interest because that's the other problem with a lot of one of the things i've noted like there's some shows that are doing a good job of it like i know you're uh something else are watching uh marriage feature and love and divorce and they've had several episodes or several seasons I know that uh, Penthouse had several seasons. People kept up with that. But like um, Yumi Sells, that's another one I did watch and they're coming with a season two that's pretty, you know, not too far off. But there have been shows where season two has been spoken on. But then, for instance, Art, I think it's Arthendal. I might be saying that so wrong. But that Arthendal Chronicles that was on uh, Netflix, season two is supposed to be occurring. But yeah, by the time it comes, I'm not sure if I'm even going to be remembering what took place. So like, I hope they don't do that to us. I hope they push Song- this on and we can get in. Songray, in that clip where they were talking about who's the, who's the sunja in your life, I saw mm-hmm. clips in that that I didn't recognize, so I feel like maybe they've recorded some stuff already. I hope so. Oh, I I'm sure so. that they did because, I mean, I understand this is an American production, but like typically, these actors are used to doing 16 episodes. They're used to doing like way more. And if we're going over four seasons, there's nothing that says they didn't do everything. Like they didn't do all 32 episodes. And they're just going to divvy it out bit by bit. My concern is that they're going to take a year to put it out instead of like a couple of months or something like that. Who That's knows? what I'm saying. That's um, exactly what I'm saying. I hope they don't do that to us. Right. And the most infamous drama that I can use as an example of getting that second season wrong is Love Alarm. Like all the momentum that they had and all the fans that they had for the first season of Love Alarm, and then they cut it off when they actually didn't need to, and then they put out the second season way later. I couldn't get into and the it was season. bullshit. Excuse me. Right, right, right. I was just like, y'all didn't need to be like this. So I understand that it's Apple Plus, and that they move in a different way than your traditional K drama, um, but. I agree with both of you. Like, hopefully they they move faster rather than slower. So there's one final thing I want to say if you all have nothing else to add. Nothing? No, you go ahead, something else. Sunray? No, I was, that was it. So I wanted to thank Natasha so, 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 so much for joining us over these eight episodes Woo-hoo-hoo. because she's Right. We have to give her her props, her daps, all of that, because 
she made time for us in her busy schedule to not only watch the drama, which she was going to watch anyway, but to take time out to talk to us about it. We really enjoyed having you with us over these eight episodes. If you ever want to watch other dramas and you love them and you want to talk about them or you hate them and you want to talk about them, we are always Amen here. Amen ho. Right. <laughs> Amen ho. Gateway drug. Come on. Come on. <laughs> dark side. If you want to join us in any capacity, we'd appreciate it because you've been a dear friend for years and you're always a thoughtful person. You, you always delve into these topics. You always have interesting things to say. And so it was great having you join us. Thank you. Thank you. I really enjoyed um, discussing the show with you guys. It was fun. And also thank you to those of you who have joined in and even if it wasn't every single week, but joined in and listened in with us. We appreciate you for being here as well because you are more valuable than you could imagine. Right, especially in that chat because sometimes y'all were breaking it down and I was like, oh, let me read as, as fast as I can. <laughs> okay. We are Black Girl Soul. This has been the final episode of Pachenko for this season. I am something else with Song Gray. And we had Natasha join us. Bye, you guys. Bye. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to Black Girl Soul. We enjoyed having you. And please subscribe, like, and follow our Facebook page, YouTube channel, Twitter page, Instagram page, and join our Facebook group. You can also find us on Patreon. Please look below for links. See you guys next week.